You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jane Alice, today Jesus gives you an eternal promise, a promise that flesh and blood cannot understand or comprehend. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And this is your gift this morning. Now, how can it be possible that, having been baptized, that you never see death? It's because in baptism, Jane Alice, you are of God. You have been born from above through this washing of water and the word which has opened for you the treasure chest of heaven. Jesus says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And having received this new life, You hear and believe when Jesus says that you will never see death. St. Paul writes, You have been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Christ from the dead. You see, outside of baptism, you can only see sin and death. But now, through your blessed rebirth of holy baptism, you have the eyes of faith. And with these eyes, you see the light of Christ. You look at the cross, and you see forgiveness. You consider the empty tomb, and you see resurrection. In today's Gospel lesson, Jesus addresses a crowd that sadly had plucked out their eyes of faith. They insisted upon judging what Jesus had to say according to their earthly eyes, but even their eyes testified against them. Jesus lived a holy and blameless life. They could not accuse him there. His teachings were pure and true. They couldn't fault him with that. The problem was that they couldn't bear to hear that they were sinners. They couldn't bear to hear that they needed a Savior. And so they decided, against faith, to trust in their lineage from Abraham. And in this way, the devil fooled them into exchanging the gospel for false comfort, apart from faith in Jesus. So dear Jane and dear saints, watch out for this. Because the devil is on the prowl looking to devour the Lord's saints by leading them away from what Jesus has to say. But do not fear the devil. The Lord has overcome his lies. And Jesus now rescues you with the powerful truth of his word. And so hear Jesus' promise and rejoice. The Lord's saints will never see death. Now, to get at the comforts of this promise, we have to consider a couple of things in this text, and we'll begin by considering the distinction that Jesus makes between the two groups of people. On the one hand, you have the saints, those who are of God, and then you will have those who are not of God. Now, what's the difference? The difference is the saints hear the words of God. They are the baptized, the absolved, those who receive Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of their sins. 
On the other hand, they, they who, are of not, who are not of God do not hear God's word. They don't rejoice in baptism, and they scorn the supper. But they just don't ignore God's word. They violently attack it. They attack it because they have been summoned to battle against it by the devil himself and his demons. And Christ says concerning them, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. And dear saints, what this means is that as the devil was a murderer and in his murderous rage poured out all this hatred upon Christ our Lord in the text today, so also you can expect the same thing. These sorts of attacks will come on three fronts. The first is an attack upon your character, upon your moral integrity. The second is an attack on Christ's doctrine, on what Jesus teaches, that which you hold in faith. Now, the Jews attacked Jesus in the first two ways by saying, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? The third attack comes at the very end of the text, and we'll talk about that later. Now, by calling Jesus a Samaritan, that was about as low as a blow as you can imagine in, the, in, the, uh, in Judea at those times, because they were calling Jesus a godless Gentile. And of course, this was a blatant lie. Anyone who had spent any time with Jesus would know that he came from Nazareth and Galilee. They would know his mother and his brothers and his cousins because they would follow him around Galilee. Anyone could ask and know where Jesus came from. And so how does Jesus treat this first attack? <laughs> he doesn't even respond to it. It's so foolish. But this is, it really speaks to the way that Christians are oftentimes attacked also, which is blatant lies. And one of my favorites, I think, is how Christians are often called murderers. They're called murderers because, well, in the, eye, in the eyes or in the mind of our attackers, there was once this thing called the Crusades where Christians dropped their plows and their hoes and their monasteries and went off to kill a bunch of people in the Middle East. And sort of from this vague historical notion, they then say, well, if the Crusaders were murderers, therefore all Christians are murderers. But the reasoning doesn't hold up. It's foolish. And yet you hear this attack over and over again. And if you are to stand blameless when people come against you with this sort of attack, you have to say to them, when have I ever murdered anybody? And so in the same way, when the Jews tried to convict Jesus of sin, what did he say to them? He said, which one of you convicts me of sin? They couldn't do it. The best they could manage was name-calling. And I'm sure that most of you know that as soon as the argument devolves into name-calling, you're pretty much sure of who has lost the argument. And so also our actions of loving God and serving our neighbor must be above reproach. Because we can't, ashamed, we can't expect to shame our enemies' foolish attacks if we never set foot inside of the church. If we neglect our children if we slander our neighbor, if we hate our enemies, and if we covet the world's pleasures. This is not the way that we've learned from Christ. 
still as outwardly blameless as our lives may be, they're still going to slander us. They're going to say that we have no place in their open and tolerant society because we assert the truth of things like sin, God's judgment, and the resurrection. They hate the truth because this world has honestly rejected the very idea of truth. And when you suffer, dear saints, do it gladly and with patience, knowing that your Heavenly Father, who sees all things, knows that you have, in faith, honored Him and loved others as He has commanded. The second attack against Jesus, in saying that Jesus has a demon, is by far the more dangerous. It's because it's trying to discredit everything that Jesus is teaching, everything that's coming from his mouth, by saying that, well, these are just the words of some sort of lying spirit that has possessed this man. So we don't need to listen to anything that he has to say. Now, if Jesus was willing to let the attack against him, the personal attack against him go, He certainly wasn't about to let this one go. He says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know Him, and I keep His word. And so also in the same way that Jesus could not remain silent in the face of the attack against God's own doctrine, so it must be for you. When the devil calls you a liar, when he calls into doubt the creed that you confess, instead of suffering these attacks like they're nothing, you must boldly confess, all the more loudly, your holy Christian faith. And you must say with the Saint, with Saint Paul, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so what this means, especially for Jane is that you have to learn your catechism. You have to study the Holy Scriptures. You have to learn your hymns. And you have to be ready to sing them and to confess them, here within the walls of the church and also outside of this church. Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. If you confess your holy Christian faith, if people have no doubt whatsoever that you are a Christian, then you have this promise from Jesus that he will call you his own on the day of judgment. Now, of all the teachings of Jesus, there was one in particular that the Jews found particularly offensive. And that is the promise that I spoke of at the beginning of the sermon. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Even though they should have heard this from their Lord and Savior and rejoiced, they angrily shot back at him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Now it seems to me in some ways that death is like the trump card that the devil likes to play against any of the promises of Jesus. He likes to say, how can Jesus or any of his followers say that they will not die? See how the Christians suffer. See how they are afflicted. 
They, are di- they die and they are buried like the rest of us. So what kind of absurdity is this to say that Christians will not see death? Now, if Jesus were any other man, these absurd words of life would count for nothing. But Jesus doesn't speak a human word that's here one moment and gone the next. He speaks something greater. And this is exactly what Abraham knew in the Old Testament text today. Though Christ appeared in the form of a man before the patriarch, Abraham recognized his Lord's divine and eternal voice. The pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus himself, said to Abraham, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. When Sarah heard this, what did she do? She was tricked by the devil into thinking about death again. She considered the weakness of her body, and she laughed. But then Jesus said back to her, Christ said to her, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Against the weakness, against the inevitable death of their bodies, the Lord brought forth life. In that year, both Abraham and Sarah rejoiced in the birth of their son Isaac. Abraham heard and believed that all the nations of the world would be blessed through this, his seed, his son, and his children. He believed despite his dead flesh. He saw the Lord. He saw that nothing was impossible with him. And Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, the Jews had been wanting to put their faith into their lineage from Abraham. They told Jesus that we are not slaves of anyone. Why do we need to be set free? We're fine as we are. But then Jesus points them to even the problem that Abraham himself had, death itself, the wages of sin. Their lineage from Abraham won't save them. The only thing that will save them is the very seed of Abraham standing before them that day, who was the fulfillment of promise. And it's only by faith in this man who was standing before them that they had any hope of being set free from this last enemy of death. Now certainly the Jews may have thought to themselves at this point, mere words cannot impart life. Jesus, when I look at him with my eyes, when I reach out and touch him, he's a man just like the rest of us. How can he promise life to those who believe in him? How can he claim to have seen Abraham, who had died thousands of years before? And so they said to Jesus, You are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. So I think I can see their point. If Jesus is a mere man, his words count for nothing. To put the best construction on it, Jesus must seem to be a madman. No one else can claim to have existed before he was born. Only a madman would promise life when the only thing that we can see in the world is death. But now Jesus puts to rest this attack that says that he's merely a human being, that his words are powerless. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
Jesus says without equivocation that he is the divine Lord himself. He speaks as God, not as a mere man, because he is God himself bearing human flesh. The divine mystery of the Incarnation is the occasion for the third and final attack from Satan against Jesus in today's text. Jesus' enemies pick up rocks with the intention of stoning him to death. They're compelled to murder the author of life himself. You see, the devil can't bear the truth. There is no fellowship between the truth of God, the truth of God and what Christ speaks and the lies of the devil. So in the end, when personal slander failed, when trying to discredit Jesus' teachings failed, the devil must resort to murder. And dear saints, you know that this sort of murder endures even today. Because you see how the devil beheads and hangs Christians for no other reason other than the fact that they call upon Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior. Jesus would submit himself to death. But it would not be here, according to the devil's will and his timing. It had to be according to his terms, according to his Father's will and his Father's plan. You see, when Jesus says, I am, he not only establishes that whatever he says is necessarily true, he also takes the very tools and weapons of the devil and turns them against him. He takes what would be a common criminal, criminal's death on the cross and transforms it into a perfectly sufficient atoning sacrifice that wipes away the sin of the world. He takes a tomb, a place where you put dead people, hewn out of the side of a hill, and he turns it into a portal that leads to eternal life. Jesus, according to his divine nature, has taken the common marks of despair the things like suffering and death that the devil wants to hold before our eyes, and he brings from them life. This man who suffered for your sins, who has risen to new life, promises to you today, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. As Jesus baptized saints, you might die just as Jesus himself died, But will you see death? Will you see an end to your existence? Will you despair with sadness? No, you won't. You will see Jesus, who speaks with God's authority. You will see his cross. You will see his resurrection. And you will see your death as nothing more than a sleep that gives way to the glory of resurrected life. Promise and faith. These are your gifts in holy baptism. And as Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Jesus, so you too rejoice in his mercy today. May the Lord preserve and keep you in Jesus' word, for in it you will always find the comfort of eternal life. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.
We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 9.15, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.